Matthew chapter 5, as we continue in our Beatitudes series that we started uh, two weeks ago. JV and Mike, thank you for running things last week. I heard all good things. Mike, you told me a funny story this morning, but it was all good. All good things. Matthew 5, uh, but uh, thank you for uh, being willing. Uh, so obviously we were out of town. Mike was sick, could not be here. And so called on the A-team to step in. And JV, thank you uh, for, for that. Matthew chapter number five. Uh, I'm going to read uh, the, the familiar Beatitudes. We're going to start in verse number one. We're predominantly only going to spend our time this morning in verse three. But allow me to, allow me to read all of them. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. And so this morning we're going to look again at verse number three. Blessed, blessed, however you want to say it, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, blessed. As we said a few weeks ago, this is a uh, very intriguing passage, captivating. It's causing me to search in my life. I want to be that individual that Jesus says will be blessed. And we start this morning with blessed are the poor in spirit. Early on in our national park trip, we, we went to Yellowstone and we had this perfectly laid out plan of a day. We got up extremely early because we were about two hours or so away from the western entrance, literally in Montana. Then you go right into uh, Wyoming and we were meeting Adriana there. How many of you all remember Adriana? She now, excuse me, she now lives in Montana. And so we kept it a secret from the kids and she drove down and we met her at eight in the morning uh, at that western entrance so we could go in. But excuse me, but we had this whole day planned out. In Yosemite, like anywhere from like 10 to 12 hours, everywhere we wanted to be. And we wanted to see everything. Let me tell you what, you cannot do it in one day. Uh, but with just uh, kind of with the snow that was there, there was a lot of things that weren't open. And so we didn't get to ne- nearly see everything. But at lunch, uh, I struck up a conversation. And there's somewhat of a funny story with that because prior to lunch, Adriana was kind of recalling her years here at Redwood and kind of even me and how I literally can talk to anybody. And so we were literally talking about that over the course of the morning and how I can strike up a conversation with anybody. Well, we got to this lunch time right there at Old Faithful and we needed to eat lunch. And we were at a table, I think, that, saw, that, that sat like eight 
but there was no other tables that were available. So we went and grabbed our seats, and this other family said, hey, can we, you could tell that they were looking for some seats, and like, yeah, 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 you could sit right here. And so I was sitting on the end, and they came in and joined us, and I just struck up a conversation with the gentleman. That's just kind of what I do. And, uh, you know, Adriana laughed about it later. She's like, see, look, this is exactly what he does. And we kind of got to talking, and he's like, what do you plan to see today? And I said, everything. And he's just kind of like, no, no, you you can't see everything. What you need to do is you you need to see like three or four things a day. And I'm like, well, we only have one day. You could kind of see a little bit of the disappointment in him. I was almost a little kind of ashamed and felt foolish at the moment. But his question, what do you plan to see, is a good one when it comes to the Bible. Maybe you've been reading your word, you've been studying it, that's great. You've been in our previous series, whether that was verse by verse through 1 Peter or uh, Psalm 23, we spent six weeks there, and, and you've been in the word and you're studying the word yourself, but what have you seen? See, it is possible to race through the vastness of scripture to come near to life transforming truth and yet walk past them and remain unaffected. Why? Because you're trying to view everything, but yet you're seeing nothing. It's funny that JV in Sunday school was even talking about reading through the Bible in a year, and I'm all for that, not against it. It's not something that I particularly try to do because the illustration that he was using is sometimes you, you, know, you just kind of get behind and then you've got so much to catch up on and you're going to do one or two things. You're either going to say, ah, no, I'm going to do it next year, which was kind of his story, or you're going to be like, I'm going to try to cram this in as quickly as I can. And you're just reading it as fast as you can. What are you seeing in the scriptures? There are eight Beatitudes. We read them this morning. We could race through this series and be done by August, before August. But as these truths have worked their way into my life, I realize that the Beatitudes are a place where we need to stop a little longer. We need to, we need to see, what, see what God has for us. And if you're hearing me right now, or for those of you that are going to be watching online, If you've not caught the first message, I'm going to encourage you this week, go onto our YouTube channel, We Are Redwood, and listen to the first message. Because the first message is so crucial to how to understand these Beatitudes. You remember the monkey rings? Remember the picture we showed up there? The monkey rings? How you start with the first and then you progress down to the end. If we got an issue with, uh, with, with uh, impure thoughts or with not being able to forgive somebody, all of that is fruit that comes from the root of the first couple Beatitudes. And then it springs into life, the fourth one, that we're hungering and we're thirsting for righteousness. And that's the, God, the godly life that we talked about, which ultimately will lead to the, to the fruit of being humble and to, of being a forgiving and merciful person. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time here. Just as like if an artist went to the Art Institute, they would stop maybe beside one of those masterpieces and they would look at that masterpiece until it kind of spoke to them. They would like let it just peer in. They weren't just going to go from piece to piece, try to see every single thing in the Art Institute. That'd be impossible to do. 
So over the next many weeks, really next couple months, we're going to look at these words of Jesus until they press themselves in on us so that they will stay with us, so they will impact us. You've heard the Beatitudes, if you're a Christian for any length of time, so often. I want you to view them differently in three months from now. Really, in a couple weeks, I want you to see these first ones differently that you have in the past. I want, I want to be able to, to carry it with us. So the plan is to spend two weeks on each of these Beatitudes. Lord willing, it'll only be two. Maybe it'll be more sometimes. So in the first week, we're going to listen to the voice of Jesus. So what, what can we understand about, about what, what he's saying to us and to see that life that he is calling us to and to see that life in him as our as our example, and more than our example, he's our substitute in this. Then in the week that follows, we're going to ask this question, how can we move in this direction? How can we, how can we begin to kind of get to that next ring on the monkey bar, or the monkey rings? So God's blessing, it, it rests on the poor in spirit, starts there. So first I need to know, what does that mean? What is this, what is it, what does it look like? And once I've seen what this is, then how do I then pursue it? And that's going to be, I'm going to help you with some application today, but that is more next week. But what is, what does God mean when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit? And then how can I cultivate this in my life? How can I cultivate this, this humility? How can I wage war against pride? And so I want us to start us off by seeing the calling that there is in this text. The calling. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is Christ calling you and me to here? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, poor means that you do not have much. I know that's not really rocket science. I'm not going to necessarily teach you anything new here this morning. But it means that you don't have much. Poor in spirit means that you realize what you lack. Means you come to the realization that you do not have what it takes. I remember I drove this home a couple weeks ago. It's that we don't have what it takes in and of ourselves. If you are a Christian, you have what you need in Christ. But you come to this realization, whether you can't forgive or you can't get those dirty images out of your mind or, or the sin that you have committed, you come to the realization that in and of myself, I cannot do this. You have nothing to offer. So what does this look like in real life? Well, suppose that the most gifted player on a high school football team is a Christian and he's trying to walk according to Jesus's words. Does this mean that he shows up for training and then he kind of goes to the coach and he says, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to be the best here uh, on this team. You need to maybe pick somebody else for this position. There's a lot of people that are better than me or a Christian goes for a job interview. And at the end of the interview, the kind of the prospective employer asks the question that so often is asked, so why should we hire you? What is it about you that we ought to hire? And the lady says, well, you know what? There's, a, there's probably a dozen people that are as gifted as I am or maybe even more gifted. Maybe you should hire them. Is that what it means to be poor in spirit, to 
talk down on yourself or to talk down of yourself? If that is, then we all ought to try that. We all ought to just go around after church and just, you know, kind of just, well, you know, hey, I'm poor in spirit. It's just me, old Ryan. You know, I just, you know, there's a whole lot of people that are better than me. And we know that that is a reality, but we don't just go around. That's not what the word poor in spirit means. So what does it mean? What does that look like in real life? Can I try to help you with this? Poor in spirit means that you recognize your poverty before God. So Jesus, when he's teaching here on the sermon, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he's not teaching about men and women and, and their relationship. It's, it's, not, it's not a, a, a human type of poor in spirit. He's referring to a poor in spirit when he, when you are, when he or she is face to face with God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is the first mark of a person who genuinely walks with God. You might be a multi-talented athlete, maybe a mega successful in business. You might be in here and you might be a super mom, a brilliant musician, a technical guru, a political genius. But if you have truly met with God, you will know that before him, you have nothing to offer. See, that is what Jesus was saying here. That is one of the most talented people uh, who ever lived before the time of Jesus discovered this. He was a preacher who was known, no doubt, celebrated for his marvelous, you know, ministry. If he was around today, people would be flocking to places where he would speak. If he had a Twitter account, he would literally have millions of followers that were just waiting for that next word of wisdom. I want you to tell, I want you to hear his testimony. Testimony of this gifted person. Isaiah 6 verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And it, stood, and, it, and it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So there's this encounter with God. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, speaking of Isaiah, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So if Isaiah the prophet described himself like that, what does it mean for the rest of us today? You see, what what Isaiah is saying here is, is the world sees my gifts, the world sees my talents, but before this sovereign king, but before the Lord of Lords, he's saying, I've got nothing. I'm a, I'm a man, uh, I, I am undone, woe is me. Isaiah had been in ministry for some time prior to this happening. But when God came near to this man like this, it brought him to a completely different view of himself. Have you come close enough to God to see that? At your best, you still come empty-handed. We sing a song, I come empty-handed. We sang 
a song just now that had those lines in there. But when you get really close to God and you're walking with him, maybe you're in the word and, you're, and he's ministering to you, you're seeing God for all of his glory, for how awesome he is, what will happen is, is we come to the place where we, where we view ourselves differently. Others might see our gifts. Others might see our talents. But we realize that we are bankrupt before God. Or could it be that God is at such a distance from you that you see yourself and all of your gifts and all of your talents? Or as we get closer, we can be like Isaiah and say, woe is me, I'm undone. Before God, again, God is not speaking on this realm when he says, blessed is the poor in spirit. We don't need to walk around like, oh, poor me with everyone. That's not what Jesus is saying. Before God, we are poor. There's nothing that we have to offer before the Lord. But sometimes God's so distant from us that we think we're the cat's meow. Guilty is charged. The one that's speaking to you. And so, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? My prayer is that we'll learn more and more over the course of today. Let me say, secondly, pride can only live in the soul of a person who is far from God. Let me, let me, let me rephrase that. It's moment by moment, right? But pride can only be residing in our hearts and in our minds as we are distant from the Lord, Pride puts its foot on the gas pedal, so to speak, and gets as far away from God as possible because it cannot exist in his presence. Satan, Lucifer in heaven, is a perfect example of that. So when pride comes, everything changes before uh, Satan found out. When God's presence came down in the Old Testament, smoke would fill the temple. Isaiah even spoke about that in, I, in Isaiah 6. Have you ever been inside of a kind of a building that's filled with smoke? If you ever have, and I have, it's just, you just it, it, it's all-encompassing, and, and, it's, and it's uncomfortable. The smoke of God's presence, God's presence suffocates pride. And so that is what happened to Isaiah, and it marked him for life. He became poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is the first mark of a person who lives near to God, So whatever your position is in the world, you are an entirely different position before God. The gifted football player, he has a talent, absolutely, to offer to his team. He'll be celebrated at school. He'll most likely be offered some form of scholarship if he's good enough. But when he stands before God, if he is going to use any of that knowledge at all before him, he knows that he has really nothing to offer except his need. The gifted graduate has a talent to offer her company. She may graduate valedictorian. She may be this on a fast track for promotion. She might actually draw other people to work for the company. She might be a center of influence there. And there's nothing wrong with any of that on this level. But she will find as she gets closer to God that on this level we come empty-handed. We come to be filled just as we just sang We come to say, God, before you, I am poor in spirit. You have something to offer your family. You have something to offer this church. You have something to offer your your company, your friends, and your team. But if you walk with God long enough, 
you will identify with what the Apostle Paul asked the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that you did not receive is what he asked them. He's like, you all, you all are boasting about everything that you have. He says, you got it all from me is what Paul is saying. You got it all from the Lord. How do you have these gifts? Where do they come from? Since all that you have was given by God, what can you ever... It, it, it's, it, it's all for him. Poor in spirit. So that's, that's what we're being called to. But let me flesh it out for the next 20 minutes or so. Are we doing okay? We're not here to get out. Remember, I heard Mike say, we're here to, to learn. We're not here to get out. Let me, let, let me flesh this out for you a little bit. Let's talk about the blessing here. So we see the command. The command is you're to be poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is where the blessing of God begins. To be, poor, to be poor in spirit is the gateway to blessing that leads to all the others. Without this, no other blessings are within your reach. I read all the Beatitudes because there's a whole lot of blessings that go along in that Beatitude. None of that will be your reality until we are poor in spirit. Monkey rings. We start with the roots. And the roots are going to generate this hunger and this thirst for God, a life flowing out of his word and out of our relationship with him that is going to bring about fruit, that's going to bring about beautiful blessings. But I want you to look at verse number three carefully. I want you to know something. Jesus speaks about heaven in the present tense. Do you see that? Look at it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, heaven is future, isn't it? You know, we, we almost might expect, these are Jesus' words. He's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. You almost would expect Jesus to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. But that's not what he says. And it's in such striking contrast to all of the other Beatitudes, which are future. It says, for those who mourn shall be comforted. The meek shall inherit the earth. Those who hunger for righteousness and thirst shall be satisfied, shall be filled. But when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he is talking about a taste of heaven right now. Life in this world is a long way from heaven. Would you agree to that? <laughs> it's a long way. When you think of heaven, what do you think of? Ah, we think of maybe like streets of gold. Well, I don't see that out there. When you think of heaven, you might think of, you know, no more tears, wipe away all the tears. Well, that's not current. When you think of heaven, maybe you know scripturally that, you know, the, the redeemed in heaven are going to be fully eradicated of all their sin. Well, I'm redeemed and I still sin, so that's not right now. How about the lion and the lamb laying together? Wars that are just constantly in our world are going to cease? Well, that's, that's not right now. So when, when does this happen? None of this is in, in reality, so to speak, right now. And so what taste of heaven do the poor in spirit have right now? Turn to Isaiah 57. I didn't put this up on the screen for a reason. I want you to turn there. I want you to mark it so you can kind of go back and maybe chew on it later this week. 
because I don't have time to kind of necessarily go into all, all of the context here. But Isaiah 57, verse number 15. I want you to read this this week. I want you to kind of read the verses before and after. But look what it says in verse number 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Remember, Isaiah is the human author of this. He's already seen the holy, 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 right, at, at, the, at the throne there. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That is staggering to me. God inhabits heaven. It's high and it's lifted up, but now God wants us to know that he also lives with the person who has a lowly spirit. Heaven is to live with God and the poor in spirit get a taste of it because God comes to live with them. Do you see it? Hear me. Salvation and sanctification start with being poor in spirit. The moment you came to salvation, whenever that was, and if you don't know it, let that day be today for you. You come to God empty-handed, but really you come to God with just all your sin because you have nothing to offer. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works. Why? Because we would brag about it all day long if it was about us. It's the gift of God. And so we have a poor in spirit. We come bankrupt before God and say, I, I cannot save myself. Boom, and you're saved. Sanctification, now you're saved and Christ now lives within you. Heaven is already dwelling in you, but we don't always live like that, do we? We don't. We often go at it on our own. We often leave the Holy Spirit. We often leave our power source behind us. I know he's always with us, but I think you know what I mean. We're gonna make, I'm gonna go into my Monday. I'm gonna do it all on my own. Guess what? You're not poor in spirit. You're wealthy in your knowledge. I can do this. And so this entire series, no matter what Sunday we're on, we're all always come back to the poor in spirit. You're going to start back on this first monkey ring. Why? Because sanctification starts with, God, I can't do this on my own, but you can. You're in me. He dwells always with the Christian, but how often do you not feel like he's there? But when you preach the gospel to yourself, when you remind yourself that, no, 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 Jesus is with me, the power source, the resurrection power that we looked at two weeks ago connected to this, that's in me. Guess what? Now you sense that he's there and you can press on. You can progress in your life. Heaven is to live with God and the poor in spirit, they get a taste of it because they know that he's with them. If you want to move beyond a vague religious belief in which God lives at a distance from you, and that's some of our realities. I'll just be honest with you. Some of us, we, we, we don't really experience much of God in our life. It's this, this vague, it's, it's American Christianity at its core. If you want to get beyond that, if you want a felt awareness of God's presence in your life, this, my friend, is where you must begin. God dwells, the feeling the feltness with the person who is poor in spirit. Heaven is in the humble 
before the humble is actually in heaven. Did you catch that? Heaven is in the humble before the humble actually gets to heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom. You taste it right now. And that's why we entitled this entire series, Beatitudes, The Kingdom is Ours. There's a wonderful blessing here today for the person who's feeling overwhelmed by something. You maybe been saying to yourself, I don't have what it takes for this. I don't know how you're going to, I don't know how I'm going to move forward from here. You know that what God has called you to is maybe beyond the, the range of your ability. Well, the circumstances of your life, they've, they've brought you to a place where you are poor in spirit. That's actually a good thing. And Christ says, I'm not just going to come near to you in a service. Oh, I hope he is right now. I hope you're sensing him now. But he's saying, I'm not going to just come near to you in a service. I'm going to go with you all week long. I'm in you, but it's about time you start preaching that to yourself. Because when we live as we are, if we are wealthy in all that we can do, that's not poor in spirit. But if we remain broken before the Lord, humble before the Lord, does mighty, mighty, mighty things. There's a blessing here today for the person who feels overwhelmed by temptation. The temptation that comes your way. You know what I'm talking about. That temptation in your life seems so powerful. It seems like you can't conquer it. It overwhelms you. At times, it seems like it's too much for you. You feel defeated. You don't know what to do. The temptation has brought you, hopefully, brings you to a place of poor in spirit. God, I can't do this on my own, but in you I can. And you go into victory. There's a blessing here today for the person who knows you've messed up. Your sin has found you out. The enemy, Satan, he told you, ah, you could do this and won't harm you. Now he's telling you there's no hope because of that. You're, you can't tell anybody. You got you to gotta hide that. Remember two weeks ago? Maybe you've been hiding that you're not really saved. Maybe heaven isn't your home. Maybe you know that, but you're too afraid of what someone else might think. And Satan, you know what he does? He wants to keep you right there. And yet Jesus, he comes and he, sa he says, no, 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 no. There's hope. There's hope. But if your failure should lead you to humility before God, if your sin should lead you to become poor in spirit, Christ will come and dwell with you. I'm not here to celebrate sin but when we hear all things work together for good to them that love God, right? That's how God can even use the sin in your life because that sin hopefully will bring you to a place of poorness before him. God, I am sorry. God, I cannot do this. And then right then that power starts. I can begin on the monkey rings. Poor in spirit. It's where it begins. This is where the, this is where the blessing lies. This is all his grace. So being poor in spirit, it's going to impact your life in a couple ways. There's a lot of different ways, but I'm going to give you four practical ways that being poor in spirit will help your life. If you want to write these down, you can because they're going to go up on the screen. Here's number one. People who are poor in spirit give up the idea that God owes them. Would you let that sink in? People who are poor in spirit give up the idea that God owes them. See, as God's creature, 
creation, we have a duty to him. But isn't it easy, especially kind of in our culture, to forget this and to slide into the idea that God is the one that is on duty to us? We get the idea that we can write God's job description for him. Now, JV, on Tuesday, we have our first meeting. He's going to get a job description for the summer. But you know what sometimes we do? Sometimes we think, hey, God, I'm going to give you your job description. God, I know I got Ten Commandments, but you know what, God? I'm going to give you Ten Commandments as well. And, and, And we do that. You expect God to provide a certain blessing for your family, maybe a certain level of income and health that will support your chosen lifestyle. An insulation from the suffering, the experiences of the world in which we live. And woe to God if he does not meet our expectations. Do you see where pride lies at the, at the root of that? Pride says, God, I gave you something and so you owe me something in return. And by the way, it needs to be the standard with which I think it ought to be. You know what pride always leads to? The opposite of being poor in spirit. It leads to disappointment. Pride leads to bitterness and resentment towards God. You know what it does? It kills blessings. And I told you this years ago, how God began to just transform my, 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 my inner man. I mean, I was saved, but transform my thinking of through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that I had everything in him and that technically I needed nothing from this level. Once I began to live that way and I expected nothing, when it came, it was a blessing. But prior to that, if it was this like transactional way of living, it's like, yeah, you ought to have done that for me. I'm your pastor. And I robbed the blessing of it. Where now it means so much more. And so if we're not careful, we're this way with God. Where we think he owes us something. No, he doesn't owe us anything. He's given us everything out of sheer grace. I owe God everything and I can give him nothing. God owes me nothing and he's given me everything. That, my friend, is the reality of a poor spirit. Let me give you another implication here. People who are poor in spirit are not afraid to ask See, folks who are aware of what they have find it difficult to ask. But the person who is poor in spirit is never afraid to ask God for anything. Thomas Watson says this well in his book, The Beatitudes. The poor are always begging. We have a lot, obviously, in our society now, right? There's a lot of individuals that happen to be on the street, and if we're not careful, we become very calloused to that. And we form opinions of, oh, I can go get a job. You know, we, it's very common, actually, for people to think that way. And I'm not here to, to, to scold you for that. The reality is, is that poor people, you know what they're always doing? They're always begging, they're always asking. And so he who is poor in spirit. Christian is going to be much in prayer. Is that you? 
Or do you feel that you have what it takes? People who know on their own, that, that, that people who know of their own need have an active prayer life. They have a life that, that, that is asking, that, that is talking to the Lord. Is there anything in your experience that resembles what could be called an active prayer life? Where you come before the Lord as bankrupt, or is it, hey, hey, look what I've got. See, Jesus speaks of two different individuals that come to him in prayer. One was the Pharisee, and one was the tax collector. One was the man that everyone would have said, that is a sinner. I can't believe you'd even eat with him. Others accused Jesus of that. Both of them prayed. And yet there was a vast difference between their prayers. The Pharisee, he prayed all about himself. Luke 18, verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. See, when you look at his prayer, the striking thing is that this man comes to God and he never one time asks him for anything because he's not a man that's poor in spirit. He feels that he doesn't need to ask. When was the last time you came to God begging? He's heavily convicted of that this week. Because it's so easy to get caught up in who we are and the talents and the gifts which are God-given, but we, we get puffed up in that. When was the last time we were begging God for something? Where we were poor before God. I have nothing and God, you must. And then you fill in the blank. See, the tax collector, what did he do? He, he stood at a distance. The publican standing afar off would not even lift up so much as his eyes into heaven but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus said that this man, not the other, he said the publican, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, not the one that had everything going for himself, not the one that looked that you would say, yep, that guy, he's gonna be great. That lady, yeah, she's got it all. Jesus says, the other one, went home blessed. The other one went home justified, forgiven, and at peace with God. Why? Because he came with a poor in spirit mindset. Let me give you a third application. People who are poor in spirit are in a position to receive. So it started with, no, God, you don't owe me anything. And I'm praying and asking because I got nothing. And when you're poor in spirit, you can actually receive. You see the transgression, or you see the progression here? You can actually receive. See, people who feel like they have everything to offer God are always coming to Him with their hands full. This isn't rocket science, but we do this in our life. We say, God, look at what I'm doing for you. Guilty. That's what the Pharisee did. I do this and this and this and this and this. And so our hands are full. Lord, this is what I want to offer you. This is what I want to tell you. This is what I have done. And as long as your hands are full, you're not in a position to receive. I love what Watson also says in his book. You can't receive gold if your hand is full of pebbles. 
We're talking about the king of kings here. We're talking about God who owns everything. And we're concerned with the little things that we've got when God wants to do so much more in our lives. You know what he's waiting for me to do? You know what he's waiting for Ryan to do? To become poor in spirit. Waiting for me to become poor in spirit. You can't cling to the cross of Jesus when your hands are full. Only those who come to God empty-handed are aware of their own need. They can only cling to the cross. That's why the old hymn, Rock of Ages, says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. See, when you know that you have nothing to offer God, you get into a position to receive everything that he offers. You see how I told you this isn't Psalm 23? We still like this part too. I love Psalm 23. Woo! And the Beatitudes, they're strong. They're beautiful. So the blessing of God, it rests, it hinges on being poor in spirit. As I close here, I want you to think about something. I'm not going to forgive if I'm the cat's meow. So if I'm not going to I'm not going to have a forgiving spirit towards anybody else because I'm going to be all about me. You've said that to me. You wrote that whatever the case is. But when we are poor in spirit, we then can start the progress of getting to the beautiful fruit of extending mercy to the men and women around us. Listen, that is what it means here to be poor in spirit. Heaven is theirs because their hands are open to receive it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let me give you the final, final impact here of being poor in spirit. And that is people who are poor in spirit, they boast in the cross. They boast in the cross. Paul said, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the more a man or a woman sees in himself or herself, the less they will see in Christ. But the more he sees in Christ, the less he will see in himself. And that is why here at Redwood, the center of our worship is to set our minds and our hearts and our affections on Jesus Christ. We sang this today. I will not boast in anything, no gifts or power or wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Listen to this poor in spirit in the song. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. How deep the Father's love. Good job in leading that, Mike. You know what that is? That was the prayer, our hearts, for what we were going to see today. A poor in spirit. It's like, God, I'm bankrupt before you. And you know what you find? Salvation and sanctification. In salvation, you come bankrupt, you leave with everything. (laughs) You leave with Jesus. That's everything. 
And then you forget that in your daily life, right? And you need a little bit of sanctification. You're kicking the road and it's just, it's struggling. You're hard. You can't forgive. You're angry. You're sinning. And so you're like, ooh, okay, all right. I got to come back here to the beginning. God, I'm poor in spirit. I got nothing to offer. I can't forgive. I can't stop that sin. Boom. You're reminded of what you have. You don't get it again. You're reminded of what you have. You have heaven in you and all the power that comes with that. And you start the progress. You start the swinging. I come empty-handed. Here's the difference between a hypocrite and someone who's genuinely trying to walk with the Lord. This is the difference between someone that's just kind of faking it and a true believer. This is the difference between someone who's far from God and someone who is very near to God in that moment. People who live near to God, they make much of Christ. People that are far from God, they make much of themselves. People that are far from God, they're always talking about what they're doing for him. People that are close to God are always talking about what he's doing for us. That Christian quarterback, he does have much to offer. He's going to be able to bless that team. But if he makes much of Christ who made him and who redeemed him, God will take those talents and that beautiful thing and bless that football team through them. The same is true for the high flyer in business, the brilliant musician, the technical guru, the political genius, that that, that super mom. If you walk closely with God, you will make much of Jesus in whatever human arena that God has placed you in. Because poor in spirits, not this way. We don't go around and say, well, there'd be a better player than me. No. It's this way. You know, the amazing thing is, as you come to God, it's just like this daily, really moment by moment transaction with God. You come to him broken and you leave healed. You come empty and you leave filled. That's what he does. This is who Jesus is. This, my friend, was Isaiah's story. He saw the emptiness of his own position before God. And what did he say? Then said I, woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with his tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. See what happened there? He comes humbly. God brings the change. And by the way, God used those exact lips to prophesy one of the amazing pictures of Christ in Isaiah 53, 5. But he, speaking of Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. 
See, God spoke these words through the man who knew his own need. A man who was poor in spirit. A man who was poor in spirit begins to make much of the cross. Lord, may I be one of those individuals that's poor in spirit. That doesn't hold God hostage. You owe me, actually, you've already given me everything in Jesus. That I have a a heart to ask because I need and I got hands that are empty so you can fill them so I can prophesy of who he is can tell much of the cross heaven's in you my friend if you know Jesus Christ as your savior this is total reality for you oh I can't I'm not pure in heart I'm not merciful. I don't forgive. Yeah, because we haven't started at the beginning. Let's go to the back. Lord, I'm struggling forgiving. Lord, I'm struggling cleaning out this, this closet of a, of a lustful heart. God, I can't do this. But I can in you. I can in your power. Your resurrection power is within me. And I'm starting. I go to the next. And I go to the next. And we'll get there week in and week out. The Beatitudes, the kingdom is ours. Jesus is yours, full power right now to go live in victory in your life. You've just got to be willing to say, Lord, between me and you, I got nothing, but I'm, giving, but I'm getting everything in you and go live in that. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please.